My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors for those of you I do not know. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of launching a new series of messages that we are calling Unwrapped. Um, unwrapped. But before we get into that, I just want to pause for a quick second and ask if you would help me thank one more time Joe Graham uh, for ministering to us last week. I don't know if you guys were here. Um, those of you who were, I got to chime in, uh, listen in, was so encouraged by that. So, so thankful for Joe and his ministry um, to us. Unwrapped is a series in which we want to take steps in discovering and engaging the Holy Spirit. Uh, so Unwrapped is a series on the Holy Spirit. And I don't know who you are or what your background is, but my guess, my suspicion is hearing that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit hits us all a little bit differently. I grew up um, as a son of a pastor, as many of you know. Uh, so... Uh, growing up, it didn't take too long for me to start to hear bits and pieces of the Holy Spirit spoken of in our home. When the Holy Spirit was spoken of in our home, uh, he was often spoken of in very hush um, and even kind of spooky tones. Uh, the Holy Spirit was this elusive figure in the world, um, kind of like Loch Ness, you know, Bigfoot, like he was elusive. He showed up every now and then. Um, and when he showed up, he showed up to do some really big and cosmic things. So the message I got was the Holy Spirit was very elusive. He didn't show up for the small stuff. He didn't sweat the small stuff. He showed up for really big and significant moments. So they may be the occasional sighting of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it was also kind of spooky. In fact, uh, he was referred to at times as the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Um, I grew up in Zambia. Ghosts weren't awesome. Wasn't just a thing you would watch on TV. Uh, wasn't just a thing you'd read about in books. These were real beings who wreaked real havoc. I wanted nothing to do with a spooky or elusive ghost of any kind. Casper or holy didn't matter to me. So growing up, I kind of kept my distance from the Holy Spirit. When I got saved, uh, I got saved, don't judge me, but I was at a Christian boarding school uh, when I got saved. And that culture was entirely different. In that context, the Holy Spirit was all the rage. He was the centerpiece. He was the emphasis. He was what everybody focused on and talked about. In fact, the measure of your spirituality in that context was how extreme or extravagant your experiences or manifestations of the Spirit were. How much could you speak in tongues? How much could you prophesy? How much would people be healed under the touch of your hand? How much did you experience things like holy laughter, where you would laugh uncontrollably, sometimes for hours and hours on end? So in this context, the Holy Spirit was super intimidating to me because my experiences with him and my manifestations of him were really, really mild. Then I jumped on a plane and came to Winona Lake for college. 
When I got here, it was like whiplash. What I quickly discovered was the general tone, at least in the context I rolled, was, wait, the Holy who? The Holy Spirit wasn't spoken of much. And when he was spoken of, he was very controversial. You were either those charismatic crazies on TV, or you were the frozen chosen. And there was this war between these two extremes. But when I came to college, and as I started to get acquainted with the culture and the community around here, the sense I got was that what was of a premium, what was really valued, was your theological precision and your moral behavior. Spirituality was measured by how theologically articulate you were, And how well you behaved morally. The Holy Spirit was kind of a scary thing, reality, that was pushed off to the distance a little bit. So it didn't take me long to figure out. If you want to kind of survive around here, the smartest thing to do was to completely avoid conversations about the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to stir a controversy and you're going to experience a little bit of division. And I started to get a sense that was the general posture of many people in the church. Just avoid the Holy Spirit. Because if he's not crazy, he'll make you crazy. And in either case, he'll cause some division and tension. So just keep your distance from him. Which is part of why we wanted to do this series. Now, let me say a couple of things uh, before we get into the very simple pieces of this conversation we want to start the series by looking at. Okay, a a number of disclaimers. Number one, by doing this series, I am not claiming expertise. Can I just get that out on the table? There is nothing in me that believes that, oh man, I am an expert when it comes to matters related to the Holy Spirit. I feel like such a novice. I feel like someone who is longing to learn just a little bit more about him. Um, when we are launching into this series, please understand there's nothing in us that expects this series to be exhaustive. We don't have enough time to touch on every aspect there is of the Holy Spirit. And so you may probably realize that this angle, this aspect that we just didn't touch on. There's just not enough time. But let's assume we had all the time in the world. Please refer to point one. None of us are experts. We would not be the right people to attempt to cover all of those things. And in this series, we're not claiming exclusivity. There's nothing in us that believes, oh man, we have discovered a fresh and unique and an exclusive angle on the conversation of the Holy Spirit that is going to put an end to all controversy and bring peace in the Middle East. There is no such aspiration in this series. We wanted to do a series on the Holy Spirit, mainly... Because the Holy Spirit is biblical. And if you've been around here long enough, you know that's all the reason we need. We are not going to shy away from talking about something simply because it's controversial. We'll talk about end times. We'll talk about sex. We'll talk about current affairs. And now we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit and speaks about the Holy Spirit a lot and therefore We must speak about the Holy Spirit. And let me just add to that a little bit. 
if what the Bible describes about the Holy Spirit is true, we would be crazy, yea, foolish, to avoid talking about him because it's controversial or it's scary or it's a little bit confusing. So we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And let me just say one more thing um, before we get into it. I am convinced if we leaned in to just a fraction of the pieces about the Holy Spirit that are crystal clear, I mean, let's scrape the table of anything that even reeks of the slightest hint of controversy. We touched nothing controversial about the Holy Spirit. We just leaned into and started to practice the pieces that are crystal clear about the Holy Spirit. Church, it would catapult us into an entirely different spiritual orbit. And I don't know about you, but I want to be catapulted into a different spiritual orbit. And the dream is that this church would be catapulted into an entirely different spiritual orbit. And so we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because I'm convinced he is one of the most beautiful gifts given to the church. And we leave him unwrapped, unengaged. Because it's maybe a little scary or a little confusing or a little controversial. And our desires, may we not be the church that misses out on all he is and all that he wants to do in us. So, uh, this morning, uh, we are just going to take some time to get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. We're just going to get to know the Holy Spirit almost as if we've never met and we're meeting for the first time. And uh, the reality is that for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever been in a conversation about the Holy Spirit. I envy you. Um, your perspective has not been muddied or soiled by the controversy. There is a freshness to what you come with to this conversation. But we want to just have a very general introduction to the Holy Spirit. Who is he and what does he do? And then in the coming weeks, we'll dive a little bit more deeply into some of the different aspects. But this morning, we want to just kind of give an aerial overview of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you have a copy of the scriptures and you feel like you've got super quick trigger fingers, then I'd encourage you to try and keep up with the different passages of scripture we're going to look at over the course of the morning. Otherwise, I'd encourage you to take notes. Uh, we're going to be just kind of flying through a number of different things. Uh, the scriptures will be up on the screen so you're able to, to read them as we go. The Holy Spirit. Okay, so who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, a couple of quick things we want to point out about him, some basics. Um, number one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Uh, the Bible teaches uh, that there is one God, but this one God is three distinct persons, and each of those persons has different roles. One God 
three distinct persons with different roles. And by the way, it is so amazing once you start to realize what is called the doctrine of the Trinity, as you read your Bible and realize, like, oh, wait a minute, who is it speaking of in this context? One God, but different persons. There is God the Father. He's God. As in our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He is God. There is God the Son, Jesus. As in our Father who art in heaven, loved us so much that he sent his only Son, Jesus. Jesus is God. He is God the Son. Our Father who art in heaven did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. Which even that has just the potential of, of flipping the way we think and even the way we pray. Because you know this. I'll pray this. You pray this sometimes. Like, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for how good you are to us. And thank you for coming down at Christmas and dying on the cross. And God the Father is like, I didn't die on the cross. My son died on the cross. In fact, while Jesus was dying on the cross, God the Son on the cross said to God the Father who is sitting in heaven, Why have you bailed out on me and literally left me hanging to die? Two distinct persons, but both God. And then for the purposes of this conversation, there is God, the Holy Spirit. As in, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church, he will flip on the lights. He will give power to you all, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He will be the flux capacitor in the church. You're too young to remember that, that reference. But the Holy Spirit is God in the third person. Father God Son God and the Holy Spirit God. In fact, look at what Jesus says uh, in the book of John as he's promising the Holy Spirit um, to his people. Um, he says in chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, that's Jesus speaking, God the Son. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, not him, not me to help you and be with you forever. And that advocate is the spirit of truth. In this succinct passage, Jesus addresses all three persons in the Godhead. There is one God, three equal but distinct persons who play different roles. All I'm pointing out as we get acquainted is the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And so as we continue in this series and forevermore, when we refer to the Holy Spirit, we are speaking about the uncreated, eternal, living God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, can you just pause for a second and imagine a church that decided uh, we're going to etch him out of the conversation because he's too controversial. 
Can you imagine a church saying, we're not going to talk about God because it brings about a little bit of confusion. The Holy Spirit is God. May we not be the ones who hold him at a distance because of controversy. A second thing, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. That simple truth, I think, has the potential to kind of mess with and shift the way some of us think, even live. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an impersonal force. Like, oh man, the spirit exploded over there and just things started to happen. He is not an inanimate it. The Holy Spirit is a person, which means the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a what? He's a he. He's a person. And as a person, think about this for a second. That means he is rational. He has thoughts and processes and he thinks about you, by the way. He's emotional. He has feelings that get hurt and that feel joy. He gets hurt by you. He gets hurt by me. He's a person with feelings. He's a person with longings. He's a person that is relational, which means he loves to engage other persons like you, for instance. The Holy Spirit is a person. That simple reality of not calling him an it, but a he, a person, I think has the potential of shaping the way we think. Because here's the reality. If I believe the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force or an inanimate it, I just don't tend to be the kind of person who talks to, to its. I tend to talk to and engage and have conversations with persons. Now, again, I, 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 some of you are so deeply psychologically messed up that you think your dog is a person, and so you talk to, to that thing. I, the Holy Spirit can help you with that. I don't know what to do about that. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Can you imagine how he must feel and what he must think when a church says, we don't want anything to do with that conversation because it's too controversial? May that not be us. May we as persons forever engage him as a person. Okay, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, we want to just look through a variety of things as we get to know him. Um, acquainted or reacquainted with him. We want to just look at a number of things uh, that the Bible is clear about. And what we want to err on the side of is clarity. We want to stay away from things that are controversial. Let's just look at a few things that the Bible makes really clear. In fact, let's look at a number of things that the church, for the most part, will agree on when it comes to the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Um, number one, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. Uh, I'll look at what it says in John chapter 16, verse 8. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will, and there's the word, convict 
the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. He convicts. Now, um, normally, this is not a word um, that we like to hear. It's not a word we embrace typically, you know, with open arms or, or, or handcuffed ones, whatever the case might be. Convict is not usually a word uh, that we appreciate, uh, but this word is beautiful. It's not about legal incrimination. It's not about jail time. It's a word that means to bring to the light, to bring to the light. So have you ever been um, plotting on something? Or have you ever been taking steps in a certain direction to do certain things? And as you were doing that, something in the deepest recesses of your being grabs a hold of you and stirs a restlessness that makes clear to you, do not keep plotting in this direction. Do not keep going this way. Have you ever had an experience where you are doing something that you know is not right? And there is this deep inner turmoil and anguish that tells you this is not a good idea. Conviction. The spirit convicts. He will point out areas of sin in us. He will invite us to redirect course when we're moving towards sin. And his desire is so that he could bring us out of that place of darkness into the light. Conviction. Conviction. So you and Bay are hanging out and you're starting to push the boundaries. You're starting to push the borders. The spirit is gracious to alert you somewhere in the deepest recesses of your, this is not good, change course, redirect. When you are sitting with your coworkers and you are laughing with your mouth hysterically about things they are saying that are disparaging against certain gender or against certain races or against certain kinds of people, but deep in your heart, you are not laughing. You are feeling the, the heaviness of this moment. That's conviction. The Spirit convicts of sin so that he can bring us towards righteousness and help us stay away from judgment. And here's the way it works, by the way. The more you give in to the Spirit's invitation in that conviction moment, the more he starts to speak about a variety of other things, the more clear his voice becomes in your world. So can I just plead with you, if the Spirit convicts, accept the invitation to light. And please hear me, I'm not talking about, we are, listen, we are sinful people. And uh, I'm not talking about that feeling you get that's scared of getting caught, scared of getting busted. The, the fear of getting caught will never bring you to light. It will just make you craftier with how you handle your darkness. 
but the Spirit of God will stir in us, change course. Do not ignore that sense. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit convicts. Um, the Holy Spirit changes. The Holy Spirit changes. Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes my heart. He's the one who changes my desires so that the things I used to love and the things I used to long for, the things I used to choose to do, are no longer the things I love and no longer the things I go after because the Spirit has changed something at the core of who I am. He's the one who conjures and cultivates in me the love of Jesus Christ that compels me to want to write a simple note to encourage a cardinal service worker. The Spirit is the one who changes us and makes us more like Jesus Christ. There is no other way you become more like Jesus Christ apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in you. So you know how you've been working really hard to stop being bitter towards that person who's wounded you. And you know how it's been really, really, really hard because you think you've got it and then you see them again. Or you think you're doing better and then you hear a report about how they're doing so well in their new car. And it just sends you down that spiral again. But you know that then you try harder to be less, no, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who takes bitter hearts and can change them sweet and tender towards a person who has done the most unimaginable things to us. You want to stop giving in to that impulse or that area of struggle, that urge, you know, to harm yourself, whatever the case might be. And what our propensity is, is we're going to work harder to try and generate and manufacture change in us. And what the Bible will teach you is, nope, that is not your job. In fact, my hope is that we continue to feel frustrated as all of our attempts to change ourselves fail so that the Holy Spirit can say, yeah, thank you. It's my job to change and transform you from the deepest parts. Church, if you are seeing a deficit of love in your own life, if you're seeing a deficit or shortage of, of patience, even on this Mother's Day, if you're finding yourself experiencing a shortage of, of patience, the answer to that is not to work harder at something. It means something in my relationship with the Holy Spirit is a disconnect. And I need to go back to him and say, would you please produce that virtue in me? It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason, named after him because he's the one who produces those things in us. You cannot work hard enough to cause yourself to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Spirit's job. He changes no meaningful, lasting spiritual change happens apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit empowers. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we referenced it earlier, but here's what it says. But you, 
church will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who causes the things that I say and the things that I do in life, in ministry, in the name of Jesus. He's the one who causes them to take root and to have transforming impact on the world around me. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives power to my words, power to my life, power to the things that I do. Man, I've been trying to talk to my grandfather about Jesus for years and years and years and years. But he is so deeply antagonistic to all things related to Christianity or the church. I can barely get a sentence in before he cuts me off. So I went back to the drawing board, boy, and I did some studying. I did some research. I looked up some YouTube videos, and I'm ready for him at the summer family barbecue. I'm going to bring the heat this time. Nope. It is not how creative or crafty or well-studied you are that shifts and changes things in the world around. It is the power of the Holy Spirit on your words. You ought to be in the car before that family barbecue talking about Holy Spirit. Would you please give power to my simple words? I can yell at my kids as much as I want to try and bring about some impact or some change, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit, even on the lips of a parent, that carries into the souls of our kids. The Holy Spirit empowers. And I'm just asking you to pause for a quick second and tell me what you imagine might happen if we as a church say, well, we don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because it's controversial. I suspect we may find ourselves becoming a church with a form of godliness that denies the power within. And very little shifts in our own lives, very little shifts in our own families, very little shifts in the community around us. We keep talking about it, but nothing is really happening because it's the Spirit's power. That's why Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem when the Spirit comes you will receive power. And by that power, you will be transforming agents in the world around you. I don't know by what power you've been attempting to impact the world around you. I don't know by what power you've been attempting to break the chains that keep pulling you back into destructive places. I don't know by what power you've been attempting to see your family grow up into everything God would have your family be. But it's the Holy Spirit who empowers May we not be the people who etch him out of the conversation because it's controversial or it's confusing. The Holy Spirit enlightens. The Holy Spirit enlightens. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I love that. 
Because you know, I'm sorry this may sound sacrilegious to some of you, this can end up being nothing more than a really, really well-written book. Unless the Spirit of God makes its truth apparent and brings its truth to life. It's the Spirit who enlightens the truth to us and us to the truth. He takes it from way beyond just information that rolls around. And it carries weight that actually changes my life. And that's why we all know that person who can debate the finest points of theology with the best of them. And they're a jerk. No one likes them. They're annoying. Talking about the cross is a stumbling block. No, the cross is not a stumbling block. You are. You're annoying to people. Stingy. Mean-spirited. Super judgmental. But man, they know this book. It's the Spirit of God who enlightens truth and brings it to bear in our world. And that's why you hear us say oftentimes here at Mission Point, if you're going to pick up this book, and we would strongly recommend it, if you're going to pick up this book to read it, always start by begging the Holy Spirit, would you please enlighten me to what's true? Would you please cause the words from the pages or from the screen now? He can do that too, I've heard. But would you cause the words of... God's truth to come to life in meaningful ways, which is crazy. Can you imagine if we say, this is what is so crazy and ironic to me, is when the church starts to say nonsense, like, I'll tell you what, we are a biblical church, so we're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we just want to stay in the Word. (laughs) You can't stay in the Word. Because listen, you may grab a hold of the word, but the word will not grab a hold of you unless the spirit of God is involved. It's not the same thing. You may be right, but you ain't right. All at the same time, unless the spirit of God is at work. The spirit of God guarantees. The Holy Spirit guarantees. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed in Jesus, that is, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's the seal, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Uh, When I was at college, I went to Grace. I don't know how it works these days, but when I was in college, um, when a guy would get engaged, you know, ask a girl to marry him, gets engaged, um, uh, his reward for that would be that a bunch of his friends would throw him in the lake. Like, that was his congratulations. Does that still happen today? Yes? Yeah, so they'll just toss a guy in the lake. Um, The Spirit is working on my bitterness because I got engaged in November, but whatever. (laughs) Um, When 
A girl on campus gets engaged. That's a whole different story. She goes back to her dorm room, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying, the, the squealing frequencies that uh, transpire are of epic proportion. Ah! Ah! He asked me to marry him. I said yes. Ah! And then girls just start coming out of the dorm rooms like, what happened? I don't know. Ah! And everyone just jumps in. They start screaming. And then you know what's next. It's like, you know, she's showing up that diamond that this dude paid money he did not have to purchase. But in that process, what this guy is doing by overspending is he is making a declaration. In fact, he's making a promise to her. I want you to know we will be together someday. And oh, he's also making a statement to all the other would-be dudes who would come sniffing around talking about, she is mine, so keep your paws off. And it works too. That diamond is a deterrent. The Holy Spirit guarantees. That's what Paul is painting a picture of in this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. When you say yes to Jesus, he seals you with something infinitely more precious than a diamond ring. His Holy Spirit himself and his Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is God's way of saying, I promise we are going to be together forever. And the Holy Spirit is this message God sends to all of those dark, would-be spiritual beings talking about doing some mess to you. It's his way of saying, oh, and she is mine. Keep your paws off. And the Spirit is a pretty good deterrent. So you know how sometimes you start to worry in the midst of the messes you've made, in the midst of the failures that are showing up in your life, and you start to worry and you start to doubt, is God going to change his mind about me? You might start to wonder, is God going to experience some kind of proposal's remorse? Is he going to start looking at the receipt for the, for the return policy on me? The Holy Spirit is a reminder, you are stuck with God, he's stuck on you, you are not going anywhere, you are yours forever, you are his forever, he will be with you for eternity. The Spirit guarantees. And for those of us who struggle with doubt, for those of us who struggle worrying, what's God thinking about me? The Holy Spirit is the one who guarantees. God is not going to change his mind about you. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, you can be quiet on the rest of that, but that one, that, that one, I'll take, I'll take the amen. I'm not too proud to beg. Um, the Holy Spirit counsels. The Holy Spirit counsels. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Counselor, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We won't say much about this, but in those times when you're not sure what to do, you're not sure what to decide, you're not sure which direction to go, you're not sure should we buy or should we rent, you're not sure should I go in the direction of my major or should I go in the direction of my passions, I don't know. Seniors and those graduating uh, understand this um, more than many of us because you're constantly being bombarded with a the question, then what are you going to do? Then what are you going to do? You're like, I don't know, okay. 
And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. He is the GPS who helps us navigate through those tense and uncertain times in our life. You never have to live your life stabbing in the dark and trying to figure things out when the Holy Spirit offers to counsel and he offers to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to bear in that situation and to help offer direction. Can you imagine what would happen if a church says we're going to etch out conversations about the Holy Spirit because it's too controversial? We'll be grasping in the dark, trying to make our lives work, trying to figure things out. When the Spirit of God, who knows how we were designed and for what, is willing to counsel us. Uh, the Holy Spirit gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 says, All these are the work of the one, one and the same Spirit talking about the spiritual gifts. Uh, he gives them to each one just as he determines. And uh, this is where we're going to spend a good portion of our series, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible teaches that without exception, every single Christian is given a unique gift or ability with which to impact the church and in turn impact the world. And you would think that would be the best news ever. But this is the place around which the church is most divided when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's his gifts. God's kids are fighting and divided over gifts. I'm just saying, think about that for a second. Wait, speaking in tongues? Wait, the gift of prophecy? Wait, is that still a thing? Or is that going to make me this? Is that, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Gifts of healing? What is that? Is that still in play for today? I think so. I don't think so. Well, I think so. I don't think so. Well, why don't you go to a different church that thinks so, and we'll go to a church that doesn't think so. Better yet, you know what? Let's just not talk about the Holy Spirit, and that way all of us can just get along. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the murky bathwater which we throw out with the Holy Spirit himself. But we'll get to that later. All I wanted us to see today is that the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes these gifts. He decides, not us. And he's the one who helps us most meaningfully use them. And so if you're wondering, how am I supposed to impact this world most meaningfully? I, I don't mean to say anything discouraging to you, but it's not primarily what you majored in or your degree. The way you're going to most impact the world is by figuring out where he's gifted you and functioning in that space. Spiritual gifts, but we'll come back to that. Um, the Holy Spirit accesses. Holy Spirit accesses. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now, as we wrap, let, let me say, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, it means when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, all of Jesus' stuff, this is crazy, was deposited into your spiritual bank account. So, in other words, you are a spiritual billionaire. 
The problem is oftentimes we don't know how to access those spiritual billions that are now ours. And so we end up going back to the same old places and we end up living like beggars, scrounging for just trickles of love, laboring for just bits of acceptance from people in the world around us. While the Holy Spirit is saying, I know how to give you access. I know how to access all of those things. I know how to take you into the deep vault of all that's yours in Christ and to show you how to bring those to bear in your life. I will show you how to access all that's yours. I will show you grace and remind you, you don't have to hide from God when you messed up. There is more grace in this vault than there is sin in you. Have another heart full of the stuff. But God didn't give us a skill to bring into our own lives all the riches that are ours. He gave us the Holy Spirit. It's the Spiritual gifts, it's the spirit. It's spiritual blessings, it's the spirit. He's the one who comes and shows us how do we make these things real in our lives. Can you imagine for a moment what would happen to a church that said, we don't want to talk about the only person who knows how to bring into our lives all of the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. That would be a poverty-stricken church that's still running to the world to get semblances of things that we have in droves if we would just ask the Spirit. Last thing. This is the thing I want us to walk out of here with. The Spirit of God is unimposing. The Holy Spirit is unimposing. That should do something to your soul. Look at the simple verse. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says this. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Here's what I mean. The Holy Spirit is a quintessential gentleman. He will not impose himself on you. He will not force himself on you. He will wait and he will watch and he will woo and he will whisper. But he will not impose himself on you. God the Father will kick your butt. Make no mistake about it. Jesus the Son will flip a table and make a whip and show you what's up. But the Holy Spirit is the quintessential gentleman in the Trinity. He will never cause himself to fill you with more of himself than you ask for. The Spirit is not going to force himself to walk with you if you don't invite him. He's not going to reveal marvels and wonders in God's word. He's not going to give you access to all that's yours in Christ Jesus unless you run after him. So can you imagine what might happen to a church that has left him wrapped and said, we don't want to deal with this because it's too controversial. We are at the most inglorious standoff as the spirit waits and as we're content to be like, this is a safe space to live in. So what we want to say in this series is can we as a church dare to engage him? 
Can we dare to invite him, to woo him, to tell him he is wanted, to tell him he is needed, to make space for him so that he can have his way in our world. I can't imagine what our worlds will be like. And so my challenge to you, through the course of this series at least, would you make a commitment to praying every day? Holy Spirit, I want to know you. And I want you to make yourself known to me. Double dare you to pray that. And quadruple dare you to pray, Spirit, I want to know you, and I want you to make yourself known to me, and come back in four weeks and say, eh, nothing changed. Your world will be an entirely different place, catapulted to a different spiritual orbit. So, Spirit, we pray that you would do something, and that as you whisper, we would say yes, we would respond. And we invite you to have your way with us. Thank you for being available. Thank you for being so patient. Please forgive us for the ways we've grieved you, for the ways we've quenched you in our lives. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.